Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. All right. Well, I am excited and grateful for all God is doing, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, I love when we get to celebrate baptisms. It's going to be fun today. You know, this is going to be after we finish today, we'll have 40 baptisms in 2023 alone uh, today. So that's pretty exciting. Just incredible and powerful. See God moving in people's lives. We said at the beginning of the year, but 2023 is all for him. We are surrendering this year to him. We want to build the fire in our hearts, right? This is the year of no more burnouts, flameouts, or tapouts. Amen? Like, that's what we're going for. We're going to keep the fire burning in our heart and a fire and a passion for God and his purposes. That's what we're doing. Well, I need to jump in today. We want to get into the teaching text, and I want to do my best to keep it tight today. So we're going to kind of fly through this. But we are continuing our series, Revival Hope. And we are spending some time in some of these stories, the great stories of the Old Testament, where God revived his people. He revived cities. He revived nations. And last week, we went under the sea, right, with, uh, with Jonah. And we're going to stay with Jonah this week. This is sort of a part two of Jonah, but a part nine of this series. So if you have a Bible and you want to go to where we're going to be at, we're going to be in chapter three of Jonah. We'll get to that story in a few minutes. But I do want to give a quick review of where we did. Last week, we went through Jonah chapter one and this crazy backward story where Jonah, the prophet of God, if you remember, if you were with us, you'll remember. If you weren't, here's the review. It's told to by God to go to the city of Nineveh, this wicked, terrible place, right? And Jonah says, nah, I'm not going. And he goes the opposite direction. He says, I'm going to the beach instead. So he gets on a boat, he gets on the boat, and God sends a terrible, wild storm. The sailors on the boat think they're going to die. Jonah says, you know what, I think this may be my fault. And when he says that, they say, well, what are we going to do? They try to get back to the shore. He says, you just need to throw me in the sea, and the storm will be over. They don't want to do it, but finally they have no choice. They throw him in the drink. In goes Jonah. And Jonah chapter 1 ends with this crazy sentence. It says this, But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now, I'd love to spend time in chapter 2 today, but since this isn't the full deep dive of Jonah, I'm just going to give a quick summary of what happens when Jonah is inside the fish. Chapter 2 records Jonah's prayer from inside the fish. And what's amazing is that it isn't a prayer for help, which I don't know about you, but that's sort of what I'd be praying if I'm inside a fish. Lord, help me. I'm in a fish. Get me out. Somebody, please help me. (laughs) Help me, please. That's what I'm praying. But he doesn't pray a prayer of help. Instead, he starts quoting Psalms of Thanksgiving. Imagine this. He's in a fish and he's praying thanks. Thank you, God, for this fish. Thank you, God, for sending this fish to rescue me. Thank you for getting my attention. Thank you for saving me. How many know that God will use some crazy stuff, crazy stuff to rescue us, to get us back on track? He'll even use a storm. He'll use miracles. Then chapter 2 ends with another crazy sentence. Chapter 1 ends with a crazy sentence. Chapter 2, verse 10 says, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Mm. Mm. 
gives us a great visual image of the fish, right, losing his lunch, tossing his cookies, whatever you want to say, right? How many of you are thankful that God has a sense of humor? He was being serious with Jonah, but I know he was like, this is going to be funny in a few years. Watch this. Watch this. God, he's like, God's like, hey, hey, big fish, just go ahead and, uh, you know, puke up the prophet. Let's do this. This will be, this will be hilarious. Promise. I promise. Now, in chapter 3, it begins with a familiar sentence. It says this, verse, or chapter 3, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give to you. Now, we heard this exact sentence last week. This is how chapter 1 begins. And here he is saying it again. So now what? What is Jonah going to do? Because the first time he ran and he ran hard, didn't he? But this time, we have a soggy prophet, fish goo dripping off of him. He's got prune hands going on. He probably smells like fish vomit. You ever smelled that? <laughs> Let me ask you. There's a lot of questions about the story. There's a lot of things that make you scratch your head. Like, for example, I've always wondered, like, where did this happen? Where did this fish lose his lunch? Like, was it on the edge of town, like right by Nineveh? Well, here's the deal. If, if, unless he was like very strong, like projectile, um, if it was on the dry land, like he was 500 miles away from Nineveh. <laughs> Some of you got the visual of the projectile, right? Okay, good. You guys aren't laughing much, but that's okay. Um, he's 500 miles away from Nineveh, and that takes three to four weeks to travel. So Jonah has some walking to do, Right? Plenty of time to think about what he's done. Plenty of time to think about what just happened with the fish. Plenty of time to think about what God has once again told him to go and do. And you got to remember, why did he not want to go? He didn't want to go, not because, not because he just was lazy or he was afraid. He didn't want to go because he hated the Ninevites. He had unforgiveness. He had a heart issue, an unforgiving heart towards them. It wasn't disobedience out of fear or out of, out of laziness, but one of unforgiveness, right? So here we go. From inside the fish, though, something began to happen to Jonah's heart. Verse 3, it says this, Jonah 3, verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. Oh my goodness. All it took, right, was a storm, a near-death experience, almost killing a whole crew of sailors, getting swallowed by a fish, and then vomited up. That's all it took for Jonah to obey. Praise the Lord. PTL, drop the confetti. Let's throw a party. By the way, we all have a little bit of Jonah in us. <laughs> so now he has a 500-mile walk ahead of him. Let me ask you, have you ever walked five miles in flip-flops? Jonah's about to do 500. I did a five-mile hike in Tevas, and I had blisters the size of baseballs. Like, I'm imagining, this 500-mile walk was... Brutal. And I wish that it was documented in the Bible. It didn't really say anything about the 500-mile walk, walk, but you know, you know when he came to that first town, not only did he have to stink, but everybody was probably like, what happened to you? What is up with you? And he's like, listen, I've got a fish story for you, right? That's what's going on. Now, some theologians have actually suggested that Jonah died when he was in the fish and that God raised him back to life after three days. Does that sound familiar? Isn't it funny how Jesus just kind of weaves his way into everything? It's almost as if the story was authored by 
some great author and there's like one story happening and they're giving us glimpses into the big picture. I don't know. This is me. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus talks about Jonah. Matthew 12. He says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh were, will stand up at the judgment with this generation to condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus says... He says this well before his crucifixion and resurrection. He says this way ahead of time. He's like, you remember when Jonah, you remember when that, that, that guy Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights? He's like, well, listen, I'm going to do something better. I'm going to die. You're going to bury me. You're going to put me in the earth. And then three days later, you're going to see me again. You better get ready. This is what Jesus is saying. Jonah's life is at a minimum, if you're going to like, what is the point of this story? At a minimum, it's a prophetic picture of Jesus Dying and being swallowed and buried by the earth and coming back to life three days later. Jonah's experience in the fish is a prophetic metaphor of what is to come with Jesus' death and resurrection. So this makes me want to pause on the story for just a moment because I need to make sure we all know what kind of book Jonah is. Can I teach you a little bit today? Cool. We all know that the Bible is a collection of smaller books, correct? Most of us know this. How many books are in the Bible? Anybody? 66. Some of you just learned something. That's good. And those 66 books are divided into larger categories that sort of define their purpose behind the writings. So I'm going to throw, the, throw a slide up here, and I'll kind of... I want to explain this really quickly to explain how the Bible actually kind of works. This is by categories. It begins at the very beginning with the Torah. Everyone say the Torah. Now the Torah, or known as the Pentateuch, is the first five books of the Bible. These books are primarily written by a guy named Moses, right? And they provide our theological foundations of Scripture. They are pretty much our law books. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then we move into what's called the historical books of the Bible. The Bible is not necessarily chronological, but this section and category of the Bible, these are the 12 books that tell the story of Israel's history over a thousand years, full of incredible stories, most of the stories that we grow up on, right? And the heroes of the faith. This is Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, right? Then the next category is the poetry and wisdom books of the Bible. And this is full of many different authors, a lot of writers full of songs and prayers and, and all sorts of, the, you know, the, the idea, if you will, of um, uh, not only the, the wisdom that was central in Israel's history, but you sense the struggle, but also the joy that people had in these books and the experiences in Job and Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the Song of Songs. Then you get to the prophetic books. And I mentioned this last week, but Israel throughout its history typically had one prophet at a time. And they were intending, they were always intending to be the person that God would use to be his voice to his people. There are, called, there are some that are called major prophets and some called minor prophets. And so Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, these are major prophets. Then Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. These are the minor prophets. Then, that's the Old Testament, right? Then you get to the New Testament. And the New Testament, of course, is the story of Jesus and his church. The story of the gospel, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you get the story of his church from the book of Acts through the letters of Paul 
all the way then through Revelation. So, some of you already knew all this, right? But this is how you can break the Bible down. And why do I tell you all this? Why is this helpful? Why is this relevant today? I, do, I say all this for one simple, really important fact today. That Jonah is a prophetic book. It's a prophetic book. Everyone say prophetic. prophetic. It's not a historical book. It's not a book of wisdom, although we can gain both things from this book. It is primarily a prophetic book that God uses for many reasons. One being, of course, this prophetic picture of Jesus. But primarily what we're going to pull from this today is that Jonah has a prophetic message to give to Nineveh. And God has a prophetic message to give to us. There are many other prophetic messages, such as we can see ourselves in Jonah. We can see our city in Nineveh. And we have to remember something about the city, by the way. The city, often, the way this book is portrayed, sits in the background of this whale of a story, right? Jonah and the whale. But really, it's not a background, extra details. It is the point of the story. It is what is driving the story. The city was actually the reason for the story. This is what God was concerned about. This is what Jonah was running from. And now in chapter 3, this is what Jonah is walking towards. So let's read chapter 3. We'll understand more about this prophetic message Jonah has for Nineveh, starting in verse 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Party time, right? Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. So this is big. They actually believed what Jonah was saying and they put on sackcloth. Now sackcloth is a very uncomfortable, abrasive fabric usually made from goat hair or camel hair, and it was what was used as a public sign of repentance or mourning. So people would put this on and wear it. And so it says this in verse 6, When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. So picture this scene, right? People, including the king, are coming out and like this hairy burlap sack. That's what they're wearing. And this is all they would wear. And they would go and they would sit in public and they would put dust on their head. And it would be this sign of saying, I'm begging for mercy. Verse 7. This is the proclamation he, meaning the king, issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals or herds or flocks taste anything. And do not let them eat or drink. Meaning he's proclaiming a fast for every living thing. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. This is an incredible decree from a king who didn't believe in God before Jonah showed up. Plus, you know the city is bad when they're putting the animals in sackcloth, right? Cows, goats, chickens, dogs, cats, they get in the sackcloth. I almost called this message cats in sackcloth. I should workshopped it. I thought about it, but I didn't think the dog people would be with this. So. But you can picture it, right? 
Back to the word, verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. Everyone say he relented. And did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So Jonah is traveling through this big city, proclaiming the word, the prophetic word that God had given him. He's saying 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. That's exactly what he says. Now, I don't know if that's all he said, but that's all that's recorded. That's all that's in the scripture. So that's a pretty short prophetic message, right? I mean, in 40 days, Nineveh, you are going to die. But immediately the people of the city, they believe. They believe, Nineveh, they believe Jonah. They believe God. And remember, this message is being delivered by a prophet of their enemy. So he's proclaiming the destruction of a whole city. And when they believe, you know this had a shock, Jonah. This, this was unexpected. He thought these people are so wicked, so cruel, that there's no way they're going to believe what he's got to say. He's probably thinking, they're going to try and kill me. So why? Once again, we have to ask the question, why? Why did they accept his message? Why did they believe it? Some commentaries suggest that Jonah's story with the great fish is what captured their attention. Okay. Some suggest that being inside the fish changed Jonah's appearance. Meaning, maybe you've heard that Jonah's skin was bleached by the acid from the whale's stomach. I don't know. So we have an albino prophet. So maybe Nineveh was freaked out when they saw Jonah and thought, we got to listen to this guy. Look at this scary-looking albino prophet that we have to listen to. But is that what is going on? Is that what's happening? Well, for the record, at no point does the story say that Jonah looked weird. At no point in the scriptures does it even say, like it, we talked about last week, that it was a whale. Those are just guesses and added details that are not in the Bible. This is what people call it a whale so they can think air chamber. People say, oh, his skin was bleached so they can think that's why they listened to him and didn't kill him. Can I just say we need to deconstruct this idea of trying to deconstruct God's miraculous work? Can I just say that we need to quit rationalizing everything in the Bible? Here's the thing. Sometimes God does things that we can't understand in order to accomplish things that we could never do. That's what I know. And so when I read this story, do I know all the truths and all the unnecessary things in it? I just know I'm not going to add to it. I'm not going to add to it. So Jonah finally goes and does what God had called him to do. Go to the great city of Nineveh. And when he went and he did what God called him to do, guess what? Literally revival broke out. People are fasting. Animals are fasting and wearing sackcloth. Revival had come to Nineveh to the most unlikely place, to the most unlikely people. Can I just say never say never? Never say that person is beyond help, beyond saving, beyond forgiving, beyond redemption. We saw a testimony today that says that. How many of you guys have that story? Never say never. Like, I didn't know God could reach me, but he did. Imagine something like this happening in our nation today. Everyone repents, right? Everyone puts on sackcloth. LeBron James, sackcloth. <laughs> Donald Trump, sackcloth. Joe Biden, sackcloth. Mom, dad, four kids, sackcloth, sackcloth, sackcloth. Your neighbor, sackcloth. The person that's grocery store, sackcloth. Everybody, sackcloth. 
Animals, sackcloth. Horses, sackcloth. Hamsters, sackcloth. <laughs> Look, I joke, but it's, it's kind of funny, to, but it's serious. Here's the thing about it. Sackcloth represents something prophetically. It's taking off the old clothes and wearing the clothes of repentance, return, renewal, restoration, renovation. It is the clothes of revival. There's a revival happening. And the power of God is being poured out. And it's not because Jonah had a great sermon. From what we know, it was an eight-word sermon that was pretty bad and straight to the point. But it had a lot of power. I know what you're thinking, Tim. You need to figure that out. <laughs> eight-word sermons. To the point. A lot of power. I'm working on it. i got to cut about 4,000. So why does the city repent? Let's look at verse 2 and 3 again. It says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. He was told to go to the great city. This word go is one of the great words, the most foundational words in all of our Christian faith. In Genesis 12, God tells Abraham, he says, leave your country, your people, and go to the land that I'm sending you. Of course, in Exodus 3, God tells Moses to go to Egypt. Joshua chapter 1, he tells he tells Joshua, go into the promised land. Of course, in Matthew 28, Jesus tells the disciples, go into all the earth to go and make disciples, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The word go is used in the Bible 1,500 times. And in many cases, it is a reference to someone being encouraged, called, compelled to go somewhere for the purposes of God's kingdom. At the heart of Get this, at the heart of faith in Jesus is a movement. A movement to advance God's kingdom. It's a movement that's been happening, not just for the last 2,000 years, but for longer, because it's a movement of God, but it accelerated at the coming of Jesus. But it only happens when people are obedient to his call to go. Here's the problem with all this. Y'all know what the problem is? Y'all ready for the problem? Y'all ready? I want to make sure you're ready. I heard like four people. Are y'all ready for the problem? Much of the Christian focus and immediate attention that we give even to new believers is not on the word go, but stop. We are told to stop behaviors, certain things, and that is typically the first objective of a new believer. And it leads us to defining our spiritual health by what we don't do. But your faith cannot be defined by what you separate yourself from. Rather, it has to be about what you give yourself to. So we spend so much of our spiritual energy avoiding certain behaviors, stopping certain habits, separating ourselves from certain things, and we've defined holiness and cleanliness by a lifestyle absent of certain behaviors. But what if holiness and cleanliness and righteousness was more about a lifestyle full of certain behaviors? It's not enough to stop the wrong but be paralyzed when it comes to the right. Too often we 
we feel spiritual health, if you will, by identifying with what we don't do rather than what we are doing. God didn't tell Jonah to stop running. He just told him to go to Nineveh. He told him to go to Nineveh. Jonah wasn't counted worthy because he separated himself from Nineveh. God used Jonah when he was in the city. I recall when I first came to know Christ, I felt like the predominant teaching and focus was to not do certain things. Don't cuss, don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat, don't be sexually immoral, don't hurt others, don't do the drugs, right? Listen, there are plenty, there is plenty of truth in all that. I'm not up here to say start doing all those things. <laughs> God's word clearly calls us to be absent of sinful behaviors, to have to live and lead a pure life, ridding ourselves of sin. However, the story of God is not about a story of a God who stops. It's about a story who goes. And he is calling us to do the same thing. Put this story of Jonah over your life for just a moment. Because remember, what kind of book is this? It's a prophetic book. If this is a prophetic book, then the story when laid over your life, we should be able to derive meaning for God sending us a message through it. What could this mean for us individually and collectively? This, this sentence, go to the city. Put this up here. If we were going to put this up as a particular, I have a question. Go ahead and put the next slide up. Go to the city. We have to ask ourselves, have I gone? Am I in the process of going? Am I on mission? Do I continue to go? Prophetically, I have to ask that question because this is what is being presented in this book. If at the heart of the Christian faith is a call for us to go, we at least can expect that means to go to our own city, to go to our own neighborhood, to go to our own family, right? The great city for us is not Nineveh, of course. It's Oklahoma City. It's Yukon. It's Norman. It's wherever you live. It's Edmond. It's Bethany. Wherever you find yourself. The great city needs people who will go where God has already called us to go. We must understand that we've been called by God, right? To love our city, to serve our city, to reach our city, to love our neighbors, to share Jesus with our city. But sometimes, sometimes I have to come to grips with the realities about myself and I will speak about myself, but I assume you will relate. Sometimes I've made my faith much more about stopping than going. Sometimes I've made my faith a lot more about me than others. Perhaps the prophetic word from Jonah for all of us is this truth about going. And I know some of us, we've been in church, we've heard the message around go, but this is something different for me. Perhaps when we go, that's when his spirit will be poured out. He will meet us in our going and bring a revival not only to our city, but to our own hearts. Now, I just want to be clear. I'm not suggesting that God's power is dependent on our action and going. He can go wherever he wants to go and do whatever he wants to do. I just believe that God loves to include us in his story, and God loves to use our obedience for his glory. Think about your life. Consider just this past week. You can do it just like that. I know you can Consider just this past week and try to identify the moments in which you intentionally, intentionally were 
on, in, the, in the journey of going as God has called you to go. More often than not, our lives, we chalk up a good week if we got a lot of our task list done. We've reconditioned the Great Commission as a call to live a sin-controlled life with some church and quiet time sprinkled in. I hope that one sits with you. We have reconditioned the Great Commission. That is not his call to go. Listen, I'm preaching to myself today. This prophetic word is speaking to me. God has called me to go. I think it's safe to say that most of us struggle with an intentional life of going. Our days aren't filled with stories about how the Great Commission is working in and through us. And this is something we have to figure out. This is the problem. I'm not suggesting we all become street evangelists with bullhorns. That's not what this is about. I'm simply wrestling with our faith. We have to keep wrestling with the things that God has called us to. And what it means to surrender our lives to God with a revival hope. We have a value as a church to be people that do things that matter. And one of the underlying principles of that value is this, and I have it on screen. For most of us, the danger is not that we become bad people who don't care about things that matter. The danger is that we become good people who don't actually do anything that matters. This church is about becoming the type of people who choose to go, who choose to do things that matter. And I say that because I want to say you are in a community of people, and I think I can speak for us collectively, where we humbly want to say we are not perfect. We make a lot of mistakes. We, we do things that we sh- know we shouldn't do. We haven't always obeyed like we should. And you guys agree with me? However... We want to be a people that goes when God calls us to go. We also want to people who be a people who know how to be the church the best way we know how. We want to be a faithful, loving people, obedient, to peop- or obedient people who aren't defined by what we don't do, but instead we are marked by what we actually do. Thankfully, we have stories and moments happening in our church family all the time people are going. And I know it fills your heart, fills my heart with joy to see stories like we saw today where God just moves. Sometimes it's not even anything we're doing. We're just here. We're just present. But to know that like tonight we have 15, I don't know how many people going to serve the City Care Night Shelter. People are going, right? Next week we have people serving Restorica See, We have families in our church right now going through the adoption process to bring children into their home, to give them a home of love and care and faith. We have, you know, I just talked to someone the other day, <clears throat> they were talking about how they invited their friend, a neighbor of theirs to church. The neighbor hadn't been to church very much in their life and they came in and they were shocked by what they experienced. They didn't, experience, they didn't expect it. Their words were it was a place of love and belonging and truth. That's not to pat ourselves on the back, but what I, what I'm saying is I know we're in the process of going. I know some of you are, are you're fighting the fight, you're running the race. I get it, we're going. But we have so much more to do. We, we focus on the stop rather than go on the daily. God is calling us to go to our great city like he called Jonah to go to his great city. 
of Nineveh. He calls us to go and to share the love of Jesus and the message of truth. And this is how he's going to bring a great revival. I said this at the beginning of the series that I believe God will be calling some of us to divine moments and decisions in this season we're in. All for the purpose of revival, reviving your heart, reviving a family, reviving this community. And here's the deal, I understand that the call to go is this wide kind of unspecific call. But when you lay the prophetic message of the Bible over our life and we just ask ourselves, am I going? It exposes the truth about who we are, what we care about and who we're becoming. So I just wanna ask you one final question and we'll be done. But it's just this, who is God calling you to go to? Really simple question today, but one that requires, it might be 500 miles. It might be a long walk. But we all need to think for a moment on this. Chances are he's already spoken to you and it's just time to be faithful and obedient. Just because you're not running to Tarshish doesn't mean you've gone. Some of us, we just sit idly. But maybe you've just not really asked God this question and it's time for you to ask. Get clarity. And you're like, well, once I find out who I'm supposed to go to, what do I do then? Here's what I know. God's a good God. The Holy Spirit leads us, guides us, gives us direction, speaks to us. For anyone who has ears, he will speak. So once you settle on who he's calling you to, then he will settle with you what your message is to them. And I pray to God, it's an eight-word sermon. <laughs> Truthfully, it might not be even a, a word. It might be to serve them. It might be to share with them out of your own resources. It might be to encourage them. It might not even be a person. It might be a place. It might be a part of town. It might be an organization like Hope House. But you have to ask yourself, who is God calling me to go to? Remember, this is a prophetic word. Listen to this. God is calling us to go to the city and he's calling the city to go to God. We gotta go to the city first. And then our whole revival hope is that they will believe our city will believe and repent. I say that over our church. I say that over our city. I say that over our nation. I say that over our world. We got to go. Anybody agree with that today? Just give an amen if you agree. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. God, we want to be obedient to your call to go. Put places and people in our heart and in our mind. And Father, we pray for your strength to be the hands and feet to go. We can't go without you, God. So help us, Lord, inspire us, fill us with your spirit of truth and compassion and grace and peace. Thank you for your word. Take a moment as we sing and as we respond to just let that question ruminate in your heart.
If you need prayer today, or if you want to come and pray, this altar is open. Our prayer team will be here as we sing and as we worship. So Father, we love you. We give you this time as a time of response. Amen. This altar's open. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.